stations are ten a penny. Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is oh, one yes. radio station. There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one. That stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. <laughs> Woohoo! It's one o'clock, it's Thursday, it's time for Uncorked. We're here. With Brian and Kath, how about that? Did you did you get that instruction? I Press did. the doodah now. Oh, yeah, exactly. You, you got that. Okay. The hoof of the doodah and the thingamabob. Yes, you got with, that. I think everybody heard that. <laughs> That's good. Press the thingamabob. It's, it's actually deliberate because yeah. it's like a little taster of what's to come. Okay, good. The, the seamless professionality of Uncorked. <laughs> I love the fact that you've got such confidence in our ability, Kath. Come on now. Um, what's happening on Uncorked today then? What's, what's going on? on? Well, last week, yeah. you and I had a chat about Tuscany. We did. And how Tuscany is located in... <laughs> well, Italy or France, France. if it yes. originally France. But <laughs> exactly. then we moved it to Italy, like we yeah. should have done, yes. So, yeah, we, we, we did that. And we talked a bit about Chianti in relation to Tuscany as a whole. We did a bird's eye view last week. We did. In a drone. We were in a little drone, weren't we? But today we're going to narrow down a little bit more on Chianti, but specifically look at the subzones because people have often ask about these things. So we thought, well, let's, let's go from macro to micro. So that's oh. one of the things we're going to look at today. Macro to micro. Yep, yep, do, yep, yep. Do yep. you know what else we're doing? Yes, please. Biodynamics. That's what I thought. Now, I'm slightly concerned that this might actually take more than one show because it's quite a big topic. Right. So we'll, 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 we'll get through as much as we can. What? Do you think we should dive in? I think we should. Let's do it because we're going to be talking it. about biodynamics. I thought there was a machine like that down the gym. <laughs> Sorry, a thing down the gym. No, there was a machine down the gym called biodynamics, but obviously not. It's to do with wine. Well, it's not just wine. Right. Not just wine. Okay. Because biodynamics yeah. officially yeah. can relate to any sort of farming or gardening. It's a spiritual, ethical, ecological approach to agriculture, gardens, beekeeping, food production, skin care, and nutrition. Right. Okay. So it covers it covers a broad spectrum. Yeah, but we're just looking at the wine bit, aren't we? We're just looking at the wine bit, yeah. But it, it can pop up into all sorts of things. So we mentioned last week when we just touched on it at the end of the, the show that yeah. it, you know you can get things like Wellida and Dr. Hauschka and they're a biodynamic skin brand. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's just cover. Go, let's go right from the basics because I've yeah. got a memory that of a frog. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know why a frog. Do frogs have frog. short memories? Maybe. I'd like to think there was one in my bond the other day in the chalk mine. There was a little frog jumping around. We tried to get him out, but he was having none of it. Well, I'm like, okay, well, we'll leave you there then. Yeah, probably couldn't remember where he was. Yeah, um, why okay. am I here? How did I get here? Where do I go? <laughs> so, biodynamics then. Let's start at the beginning. What is it? Oh, well, you just told me it's yeah. spiritual, ethical, Col- ecological. Correct. What does that all mean, though, in what real does it mean? terms? Basically, it's a set of farming practices that you can use in a farm or a vineyard, which view the farm or the vineyard and even into your winemaking practices as one whole solid organism. So, a large ecosystem where everything feeds into everything else okay so it's a complete holistic approach so it's not just the vineculture no no it influences what they do in the winery as well i'm using posh words now i know you're just just look at that um every week there's something new yeah 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 so it's it's the whole sort of yeah one organic thing yeah so one one part of the ecosystem feeds into the next part and it's all linked it's all linked is it a bit la-di-da well 
we'll get on to some pretty cool woo bits as okay. we go through. Yeah, yeah. woo. All right, but well, the that's thing, fine. The thing is, what I will put the top line here is, yeah. anecdotally, the things that I've seen achieved in, in extreme conditions in biodynamic vineyards sort of speak for themselves. Mm. So just because it doesn't necessarily have a scientific explanation doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work. And I think there are lots of producers who are officially certified as organic, and there are lots of people who incorporate elements of organic practices. And when you do drill back down into some elements it does make complete sense. Okay. So there's some things using the lunar calendar and the astrological stuff, yep, as it no. seems a little bit woo. But, you know, the moon and the tide, they do their thing every single day. Yeah. It's there, it's doing something, it has an influence. So it would be foolish of us just because we, with our a few hundred years of science, think that we can, I can't explain it, it's not real. I think, you know, we have to also just go, well, maybe it's, maybe, suspend yeah. that disbelief. Yeah. Let's investigate. And let's investigate. Let's dive in. Yes, we've already done that. Oh, but I'm not yeah, pressing, yeah, we already, right, do we right, press a button yeah. again? Not really, I was just getting excited. <laughs> it's getting excited. Um, but yeah, okay, so, um, so it sounds a bit to me like quantum physics. <laughs> Sometimes it feels a bit like that as well, because yeah. some of it I think is beyond our comprehension, or beyond my comprehension, I shouldn't say everyone's. Maybe it's like other dimensions. It. Okay, let's, let's, let's okay, go Okay, so the idea is that you want to create a self-sustaining system. Right. So you're not reliant on external things or chemicals to well obviously you need some water and things that are external but you you look at the nature as a whole and you're not that it can do its own thing and it can balance itself and the vines are healthy and they'll work out what they need to do with their own innate intelligence so it's basically trusting them to get on with it okay but with but, a little help some, in the right direction with a little help in the right direction yeah. yeah so they use natural materials and soils and composts and fer- not fertilizers in the sense of a chemical fertilizer but in the sense of maybe manure and things to nourish the soils and sustain the vineyard all chemical fertilizers and pesticides are forbidden and that's where you see a crossover with organic viticulture so there is there is a crossover element then they often have lots of animals they're looking more at it's not so much a monoculture so you have everything from ducks through to horses working within the vineyards and they have a practical purpose so the ducks go around eating little bugs okay yeah there's a chap at one of the vineyards we used to visit in south africa and he used to take the ducks out during a particular part of the season because they'd eat up certain bugs and things How interesting. and they had on the back he'd tow them on a little track they had a little trailer and open the back and they'd all trot off and do their bit how cool and at the beginning of the season they were quite lazy because they weren't vineyard fit <laughs> they'd, they'd wait for him with the trailer to take them to the next bit rather than walking up they were brilliant but even using a horse so using a horse to do your plowing if you're working between the vines it's less compaction than using heavy machinery. So, you know, there are practical elements to that as well. So, I mean, you would think, I was going to say, um, you'd think that the horse would be munching through all the grapes, but I guess you don't let it because it's busy ploughing. Yeah, and they don't. And the yeah. ducks don't eat the grapes? No, I've not, I've not witnessed a duck eating grapes. They're usually, you know, pecking around on the ground, doing their thing, chatting, d- d- quacking ducks? at each other. It was the best thing I've ever seen. They literally, and then he goes quacking and opens the back other. of the trailer and they get back on again. And then they get taken to the next part of the vineyard. I like ducks. Even in some vineyards, I've seen them, they've got sort of, um, they had llamas and things to protect sheep and things that grazed in vineyards and the llamas yeah used to do their bit so it's yeah quite exciting yeah okay it's quite nice so, seeing all sorts of animals around well it is animals i mean the, cool. only, the only thing i'd worry is that you know llamas and what have you would trample through and damage the vines and eat the grapes and all of that malarkey but clearly they don't they're worse as long as they're well fed yeah yeah they've got their food they leave the grapes alone okay so some of the practices said are obviously scientific there is science behind them and why they happen. Others seem a little bit more, as I say, a little bit more woo. Okay, let's get on yeah. to some of the woo ones. Okay, so probably it's good to tell you who started it before I get onto the true woo. Okay. Okay, so the person who started it was a guy called Rudolf Steiner, and he did it in the early 1920s, and it predated the organic movement in that regard, which is also pretty cool. Um, 
He was a philosopher and social reformer. There's some elements of his probably social attitudes that will be regarded by many as controversial nowadays. Um, but we're just going to look at the this side of it, <laughs> the bit that's a bit positive today. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is based around the lunar calendar and astrological influences. Okay. Um, Do we know why? Do we know why, what aspects it actually, a, a, a I, moon that's closer does what and why is the thinking behind it what? Well, okay, right. It must so, do something to the water, I guess, in the grapes it pulls one way or the other. Yeah, well, I know when you're tasting wine, if it's really windy and wet, it's really hard to taste. So that's anecdotal, but we used to always dread doing exams on days if it was really windy, blowing a gale and pouring with rain because you go, no. Yeah. It seems to affect things. So the first thing is the farming practices are divided into the biodynamic calendar which is divided into days and there's four main days you ready for this yeah. root, root days flower days today today i checked is a flower day um f- fruit days and leaf days and these all work on the lunar cycle so a root day is when the moon is in an earth sign oh okay i got you I might, you've got me here so things like capricorn taurus virgo Got a Virgo sitting in the room with us today. Two. Um, two Virgos. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, well, there you go. So root days are your days, chaps. Okay. And these are not great days for tasting wine. So I didn't bring any wine. Well, I could have brought wine today because today's not a root day. Um, and so if you're tasting, it's a good day. But it's not It's not a good day on a root day to taste wine because... See, this is where it's lost me any, already because yeah, exactly. any day's a good day. And in the vineyard, yeah, exactly, any day's a good day. Apparently it affects the way it tastes. It becomes... There's an earthy nature and a grounding quality which can make the wine taste different, allegedly, if you're tasting. Um, but in, in the strictest viticultural sense of the word, um, pruning is something that you do on root day. So it kind of makes sense because the, the vines stop producing sap. The sap doesn't rise in the winter and that's when you would naturally prune. So if you need to do pruning throughout the year, you would do it on a day that's a root day because in theory, a root day would be keeping the sap down so the vines, it's easier to prune it. Because the moon is further away. Possibly, I don't know when the moon would be on that stage. I'd have, you, to look, I'd I, have to look. When you look at the calendar for each year, yeah. they do have a little moon on it. Right, okay. And it shows you where you are. Because we, we had a full moon about two weeks ago. Where are we with the moon today? I wonder why Sam was howling at the... Exactly, out the, uh, the other out week. The, yeah. That'll explain the other week. <laughs> so the next one is a flower day. Yeah. And a flower day means that you're in an air sign. Okay. Astrologically, right. apparently. So Gemini, Libra, Aquarius... <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about oh, I can't, star we're signs. Gonna, anyway, we're, we're just, yeah. I, think, I think we're pulling it off. Go on. Yeah, these days are better for tasting aromatic wines, apparently. And I didn't know that until I did a bit more research into it. So white wines, the floral things. So today, if it's a flower day, and I said it was, it'd be good for Riesling drinking, probably. So if you fancy, you've got maybe even a Sauvignon, because you've got bits of passion fruit, elderflower. Yeah. Yeah. So if you fancy a Sauvignon tonight, Brian, knock yourself out. Okay. Um, <laughs> and on a flower days, people often say, leave the vineyard alone. Why? Okay. Okay. What, what, what happens on a flower Because day? I suppose on a flower day, it's flowering and you just want to let it get on with what it's doing. So these are, these, I mean, they're called flower days, they're called root days, but yeah. it's to do with, am I getting this right? When it's um, like Capricorn, Taurus and Virgo on the root days, yeah. that has that's to when, do with the position with, of the moon. And where it is in an astrological chart. And I'm afraid I you have don't to know confess my astro- ast- astrology knowledge is possibly limited okay so the uh, w- we need to look into this because that's what in I my take opinion right in my yeah. opinion and that's all it is in my opinion is if on those capricorn taurus and virgo the moon could be anywhere it's like, just it cycles through each month doesn't it with the yeah moon. So but if you've it, got a full moon and it would be x or y and then it moves around so if it is at those different distances and it's uniformly always going to be yeah. at those different distances then very Possibly this has some 
you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's the way you, the earth, might, I mean, there is a pull, otherwise the tides wouldn't do what they do. Exactly. It would just be big lakes. Yes. So obviously there's an impact there, yeah. Definitely. So I think that you can see there's a physical impact. So leaf days, they produce more chlorophyll and that's when they encourage watering. So again, it's usually associated with water signs in the astrological chart and where the, where the moon is moving through in that regard. Okay. And, and you say from your, your personal experience that actually when you've been to vineyards like this, the, the results are noticeable? Yeah. The, the thing where I noticed it the most, there's two, two, two separate occasions. I remember once visiting Burgundy one year after... They'd, it'd been very wet earlier in the year and there'd been lots of mildew and people were concerned about rot forming in the vineyard and how that would affect the crop and the quality of the fruit. And a few people had said to, well, you know, so-and-so who's working biodynamically, not spraying for mildew and stuff, they're going to have a problem. And yet, ironically, they were the producers with the healthiest fruit. And it was almost mm-hmm. like, and this also comes down to, I think, the preparations that they use in the vineyard. So, yeah, exactly. And another year in, in Chianti, just like that, you see seamlessly going on to what our next section is going to be later i was in chianti classico and they'd had a drought and all the vineyards we'd visited you could see that the leaves were wilting and Mm -hmm. when it gets too hot for too long the vines shut down which is sensible because they don't need to use as much water then they're not using the energy to produce leaves to make too much too much photosynthesizing just enough to survive and they're not paying much attention to the grapes which is obviously a concern to a winemaker you go into a biodynamic vineyard and I'm at the first thing we noticed was the leaves weren't wilted and folded. They looked good, mm. as you would expect. Not maybe as bright as you would if it had been raining on and off and they had plenty of water, but they looked distinctly different and more vibrant than they did in the other vineyards. Isn't that interesting? Mm. And you say, why? And they say, well, it's the biodynamics. So I think there's a lot to do with this is what they actually do do in the vineyards because it, we're going to get onto cow horns now. Well, uh, we talk about fruit days first. Oh, yeah, fruit days. Yeah, so fruit days, that's when you are with fire signs. So Aries, Leo, Sagittarius. And what, so what's a fruit day then? A fruit day is optimal for tasting wines with fruit flavours because they often taste more vibrant. Oh, okay. But in the vineyard, people often associate fruit days with harvesting, which would also, I suppose that's logical, when the fruit is ripe, you pick and you harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's logical. Yeah. Fruit day. Fruit day. But it's... <laughs> But, it, but again, it's got to be something to do with the distance of the moon, hasn't it? Yeah, um, exactly. And, why, why and where would it, it is in a cycle. I, we, maybe, maybe we have to delve into that when we can actually look at an astrological calendar, because I don't yeah. understand that. Maybe we need somebody who is like um, a biodynamic Expert. farmer to explain this, yeah. even in depth more so than we're... Yeah. We're just scratching the surface. Well, I say we are literally scratching the surface. It, yeah. It's a pretty big topic. Sure, I bet, yeah, I bet it is. But you see, lots of people hear about biodynamic practices and they bury cow horns in the vineyard now cow horns now, now yes I come on see then. i Why? might yes. almost have lost you at this, this point. is where we do get a bit woo-woo in it so yep yeah, there's some <laughs> a bit, bit more <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more ryan so sometimes they do basically they make field and compost preparations that they use in the vineyards which help encourage the life cycle of the vineyard and the energy in the vineyard which helps the vines did you say the energy in the vineyard? Yeah, we're, we're on energy here. All right. All we're right. all energy. All right, I'm going to go we're with it. Energy. I'm going to go yeah. with it. And one of the most famous ones is Preparation 500, which is <laughs> a, a cow horn manure. <laughs> yeah, it's got a number. They're all numbered. Preparation 500. Yeah, exactly. Lose those grey hairs. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, it would definitely, yeah, make your hair curl. So cow horns are stuffed with manure. Yeah. Or a manure compost. Right. And they're buried... 
in the vineyard through winter and the later they're excavated. And in the summer, they basically use cow horns and silica and they're buried and they can take that out and ex- excavate it as well. So I can look, you just look on your like the cow horn. I do not know the purpose of the cow horn. Not a bull horn, a cow horn. Right. Very specific here. Um, so the idea is that the... the they bury the horns, yeah. they then excavate them and then they spread that throughout the vineyard. Okay. Yeah. So I can't, where do they I bury can, it? In the vineyard as well, and then they take it out in the vineyard. I guess you'd want to have a marker so you weren't like just digging like randomly. Like a squirrel lost. Yeah, exactly, squirrel <laughs> lost, trying to find something in the vineyard. Holes everywhere going, I'm sure I buried a cow horn somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, 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 this is the funny side, aside, the, corns, uh, the horns, the horns, the horns are becoming harder to find. And they're more expensive because they have, I mean... It's not like you walk into a supermarket and buy your cow horn, is it? Yeah, but there's plenty of cows kicking about. They got <laughs> they haven't all got horns. <laughs> it's all these it's all these winemakers nicking them. <laughs> exactly. So um, basically, it's essential this this preparation of all the preparations that they use as a means for restructuring or structuring the soil because it stimulates the microbial activity, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, manure, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Regulates pH, helps seed germination if you're doing normal planting, yep. and helps dissolved minerals so that the vine can access them you see more that readily. might just be preparation i was going to say preparation h but a preparation 500 <laughs> it might just be that because you know the cow horns just a, a tradition <laughs> a tradition in it maybe i don't know so they, if it works you're going to keep using it but there are other things they use like yarrow chamomile and nettles and actually there is some science behind these so these can be used as Desands or teas that they can spray in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that they can spray chemicals in the vineyard to prevent things, that's where these things really come in handy. So horsetail contains silica, which dries and stimulates. So if you've had a wet period or it's damp weather, it can help dry and help prevention of mildew and rot. Um, then nettles, they supply iron and nitrogen and calcium. And these actually, in the same way that these are good for us sometimes, they actually help strengthen the immune system of the vine, which is why I think the vines sometimes are more tolerant of difficult situations in vineyards. Um, chamomile has a calming effect like it does on us. We have a chamomile tea, give it to your vine. If it's really hot or there's been hail, anything that's stressful for the vine, it helps the vine recuperate and encourages it to heal, apparently. Yeah. Um, birch leaves, they have copper in them. They have a high percentage of copper and copper helps prevent mildew. And copper spray is something that actually isn't as limited as much as you'd want it to be in um, organic viticulture. Yarrow leaves provide sulphur. Again, another treatment that's used for sil- um, to prevent mildew in the vineyards in conventional farming. They're just using it from a natural product instead and a natural source. Um, and also yarrow and birch leaves have antifungal activity, so they help reduce the chance of rot as well. So... You know, when you actually look at what's in the components and the teas they're making and you break down those chemical components, they're basically a natural version rather than a chemical version that's yeah. going to harm the soil of what we would potentially apply yeah, anyway I get, if we were I, farming. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it does sound like a really posh spa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but yeah, I get that all, the, all those different... Yeah, you know, they nature, encourage, nature has exactly. A way, you know. And so you'll see elements of it pop up in everything. So encouraging pheromones in the vineyards to confuse the certain like grape moths and things that you can use pheromones uh, and that's used widely across viticulture and encouraging certain insect populations to improve biodiversity but also to prevent other insects that could cause a problem to the vine so there is sort of a knock-on effect and by using things that aren't chemical pesticides you don't wipe everything out right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh lovely i mean i'm i'm keen to try some of this 
stuff to see if... Uh... So if you're looking for wines, the main body is Demeter, and you'll see it. They usually say they're certified by Demeter, and they're global. And so they're d- very Demeter? Demeter what, and Respect. D-E, what, what is it? D-E-M-E-T-E-R. And they often, it'll be on the bottle, either on the back label or the front label. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but look for Demeter. And oh. Respect is another one that you'll see. Right. And, yeah. Okay, so um, when we come back, because it's time now to listen to a little track. Yeah. We're going to listen to Natural, aren't we? Imagine yeah. Dragons. Oh, yeah. who chose that? Oh, stop it. See what you've done there. It was... <laughs> we should actually say we have Ollie in the studio, studio today. today. Yes. Ollie is a wine expert, but at the moment he's playing, uh, what is it? Warcraft? No. Minecraft. Minecraft. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, um, yes, when we get back, what are we going to be talking about then? Are we going to be talking... Do they, like, um, dance go... around bonfires naked on a Thursday night? And they drink Chianti. Yeah. Is that what they're going to do? Chanting? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, um, yeah. We're going to be talking about that um, right after Imagine Dragons and um, Natural. Natural. I behave. Yeah, we're going to go for it. Will you hold the line When every one of them is giving up and giving in Tell me, in this house of mine Nothing ever comes without a consequence of cost Tell me, will the stars align Will heaven step in, will it save us from a sin, will it Cause this house of mine stands strong That's the price you pay Leave behind your heart
the voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. Uh, you give one quick twitch and the thing is done. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Yes. Well, it's time to uh, go off the beaten track, isn't it? It is. And <coughs> I'm just looking for the thing. Well, there it is. There you it found is. it. I was about to dive in again. I'm just too excited about the woo-woo world we've just been in. Well, yeah. Well, we're, we're going, we say off the beaten track. We're sort of just, um, we're looking at more biodynamic wines, aren't we? And carrying on that whole process. We're well, coming out of the vineyard. We're, well, no, 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 no. I think we're going to go to Chianti. Oh, we're just going straight there. We're not going to go we into can... the actual winery and look at the tanks and stuff. We can talk a bit about that if you like. Well, I don't, I don't want to, you know. Step out of place. Step out of place. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fairly brief, actually. I mean, we, we can just have a quick chat about it before we move off to Chianti. OK, let's, let's do that quickly, and then we'll go off the beaten trend to Chianti. Yeah, so basically, the, the philosophies that you, that, that you may have in the vineyard, you yeah. can also start to employ in the winery as well. So you might decide when you're going to rack or fine or filter or anything that you wish to do in the winery, pressing maceration length of maceration might be dictated by what's going on with the moon okay but also quite it depends on the philosophy and how extreme the person is in their their viewpoint and also the style of wine that they wish to make quite often they'll use old wood um and there's less stainless steel in the vineyards but as i've been to producers who who use both yeah i know quite a lot of producers actually who will use things like um the tisans like yarrow and things in the vineyard because they don't want to use chemicals and they prefer to incorporate some more natural products that aren't going to impact the the ecology and the life cycle that's going on in the vineyard. Because beyond what we see as the cycle of the vine, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the soil. And if you don't have to use pesticides and things which can run off and herbicides that are going to run off and end up in, in the, the water, water source and in your yeah. animals. Exactly. So I think that you know there's a lot of logic prevailing. And when it moves into the vine- into the winery, I think... I think it's good to achieve a balance at that point because if you leave a wine for too long because you're waiting for the moon to be in a particular position, then it might not be the right thing for the wine. But then, I suppose also it might be. Does it does it affect the 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 way they um, the bottle the wines as well and and the corks that they use? Would they have to have biodynamic produced corks? Probably they have to think about everything. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Well, you have to be certified. But I think, you know, ultimately a cork's a cork. But I've seen screw caps on biodynamic wines. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. And I'm just looking at some, some of the notes here. So there's, um, there's over 700 um, Yeah, there's over, at least over 700 producers worldwide that are certified. Oh, okay. So some famous ones would be Nicolas Jolie at Coulet de Sauron in Sauvigny in the Loire Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nikolaiov in Austria. They are Demetrius Sibelkuntz in the Mosul. Um Domaine Leroy in Burgundy is quite famous, and I believe that brain's gone blank. There's other producers in Burgundy who also work biodynamically, and um, Chaputier in the Rhone. They they work biodynamically. So all over the place, and you'll see them popping up in the New World as well. So, but lots of people will will use elements of it within. Yeah. What they the, do. The main ones, perhaps, or ones they believe in more. Yeah. You know, exactly. perhaps not the cow horn bit. <laughs> Anyway, so there's so um, actually, and I was thinking to myself, as uh, silly, I was in a vineyard in Chianti. In Chianti, there's um, a brilliant producer called Monte Bernardi, who are based in Panzano and Chianti Classico, and they work biodynamically as well. Okay, yeah, super, good, yeah. right. Off beaten track, then we are going to Chianti we to are. the subzones. We're going to the subzones of Chianti because the amount of times people ask me. <laughs> 
about the subzones in Chianti. Right. It drives me around the bend. Okay, so this so. is really just a personal thing for you, so that it's, it's out there. Everybody there. listen. Yeah, they only done. want to say this once. To ask, well, no, actually, it's also because it's not very clear. We all heard of Chianti, and we've heard of Chianti Classico. Yeah, but. Then you see things like Chianti Rufina or Colisinesi, and people are like, well, what is that? What's the difference? Okay, we're going to find all out. Subzones, yeah. So Chianti as a whole, mm-hmm. from 1996 onwards, is all a DOCG. So it's all sort of that upper echelon of controlled region. So you can blend across, apart from Chianti Classico, I think, which is the heartland, you can blend across. And as long as you're fitting the requirements, you can. Exactly. It's ringing. There's phones ringing and it's very distracting for poor Brian. He's not listening to a single word. No, I am listening to what you're saying. I was just hoping that somebody picked up that phone. How very odd. Exactly. Answer the phone. Yeah, so um, I was listening. You were talking about Chianti. Yes, I was. So basically, it's divided up into seven sub-regions. And the most recent of one, which came along in um, 97... I'm saying that with all confidence and then questioning myself in my head. So basically, in the broadest sense of the world, Chianti has to contain, believe it or not, a minimum of 70% Sangiovese, a maximum of 10% white varieties, so it can have zero white varieties in it, and the two predominant whites are Trebbiano and Malvasia. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it has to contain, potentially, if you're going to, say you've got 10% of white varieties, 70% of Sangiovese, the rest can be split between indigenous varieties like Canaiolo and Colorino, um, and then actually things like Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah. But very small amounts, and most Chiantis will be probably more than 70% Sangiovese. So that's the dominant variety. So that... Those the wines, the other grape varieties are often added in dependent on vintage because they can bring either more tannin, more freshness, more acidity or more fruit and help people reach a desired style and quality level. So, you know, it does have a purpose. It's yeah. not just to be controversial. So, so Sangiovese is the main bit and then there's lots of other bits you can pop yeah. in. Yeah, but lots of other bits. Quite limited to the amounts there. Okay, yeah. what what might be the um, uh, the, the characteristics? What, what are we sort of looking for in the Classico? So a Chianti Classico, really, it's the heartland. So if you want benchmark Chianti yeah. and from a good producer, really good quality Chianti, Chianti Classico, it fits the bill. So one that's made in a sort of, they're usually medium bodied, is that mm. fair to say? I don't know. Cherry fruit, nice structure, good tannin, nice acidity. They can be more forthright, dependent on the producer's philosophy, or they can have, you know, be more soft and easy drinking. So... Yeah, those divide, and they can just make a straight Chianti if they want, which is usually going to be the one that you would drink youngest and most readily. And Chianti Classicos usually have the most structure, and it is that pure classic Chianti that you would associate with the region. But beyond that, you've got these little seven subzones. So the first one that people sometimes see is Colli Arantini. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> these again. They have a lighter body than a Chianti Classico usually. Um, they have better acidity, or not so better, the higher acidity usually, and they might be less complex. So if you come across a Colli Arantini, then you would drink it probably slightly younger than a Classico. Okay. Yes, I'm sure I would. He's looking at uh, me. Only, when, only when we're in the um, star sign of Virgo, though. Yes. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of doing it another time. Exactly. <laughs> so Colli Fiorentini. Okay. Funnily enough, not far from Florence, thus the name. Ah, yep. Got, yep, yep, yep. So it borders the city of Florence... Um, it's a really, really pretty region, actually. It's sort of classic Tuscan undulating hills, well-rounded, easygoing, fruity. Yeah. So if you fancy a slightly fuller but well-rounded Chianti, more curvaceous. And, and when you say fruity, would that have that cherry sort of yeah. essence thing? Is, yeah. that, is that the... The dominant fruit character, I'd say, yeah, cherries. And dependent on, 
either the, the vintage or the, re- the sub-region or the producer, just to make it complicated, that can be more sort of red and black cherries, a bit more towards black cherry, a bit more towards sour cherry. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. But definitely, I think, cherry spectrum. Mm. Yeah. We're talking cherries, aren't we? We're definitely talking cherries. So what? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up. Um, then there's Colina Pisani, uh-huh. which is um, not one of the most famous regions. Name, can you guess where it might be from? Um, pizza. Yeah, Pisa. So the Leaning Tower Land. Yep. So it's not far from that town anyway. And it's usually closer to the sea. They come down, the vineyards come down in the foothills and head a bit more to the sea. So you tend to get wines that are slightly lighter and more accessible. So if you wanted a wine that was more accessible, then that's a good region to look for as well. And you do see them in this country. Just just, just humour me. When you, when you say accessible, what do you mean? Not too tannic. Mm-hmm. Not too avert with acidity so that you know it's a wine that you can sit and enjoy and drink so a bit like the arantini which is usually slightly fresher and lighter in body you can just dig into that but it has quite noticeable acidity which also mean it works well with fruit food okay whereas this you get sort of a lighter side but sometimes softer and the fruit's more accessible so it feels more fruity and less tannic and structured Okay. Okay. So basically, yeah. the, you know, when it's accessible, uh, accessible, you you might be, you can drink it when it's drink it without without yeah. food so much, and if that's you don't have to age it in a cellar. Forever. Okay. Right. Then there's Chianti Montalbano, which always oh. makes me think of Sicily because of the detective books, Detective right. Montalbano. Yes. In Sicily, but obviously it isn't. It's west of Florence. We're definitely not in Sicily in the south. And this is again, it's they're more fruit driven. So are we in Italy. We're in Italy, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Definitely not France. Oh, no, no. We're not in France. <laughs> no, not in no. France. It was a joke. That was a joke. I know exactly. where it is. I know where it is. And um, Chianti Montalbano is near Vinci, which was the hometown of said Leonardo. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact. There we go. Yeah. Um, then there's Con- Chianti Monte Sparatoli. That's easy for you to say. Uh, no, it's not. And this is the newest and the smallest. And this one was founded in 97. So it's a small, tiny little region. And it's actually used to be part of Cor- Colli Fiorentini. Okay. Uh, I imagine so that, is, that is new. I mean, it, in terms of yeah, yeah. wines, it's, it's a really new yeah. area. And what can we expect from that one then? Right blush balanced. Oh. They're the notes right that blush. I took out my, my notebook. Yeah. yeah. Right blush balanced. So a bit more... I mean, it's, I mean, I'm fairly certain that if you had it next to a Cioli Fiorentini, you'd go, oh, there's a huge difference. But if you had it on its own stylistically, it would sit alongside that. So you something that's easygoing and fruity again. Yeah. Because it was part of said region until 97. So so really, a, a lot of these um, different Chiantis, the, the names of them mm-hmm. um, are loosely or not so loosely actually related to where they're yeah, where they're made. Exactly. So there is a degree of logic that prevails. So some of them, so for example, Chianti Colisinesi, which is one that you see quite commonly over here. It's one, you know, around the area that it's made, you'll find that that's what they, if you, you ordered sort of a Chianti in a restaurant and it arrived in a carafe, then that would be what you'd be getting. The same in Fiorentini. Yeah. In Florence, in the restaurant in Florence, the chances are the, the basic Chianti that you would get, which would probably still be utterly delicious. The glorious bowl of pasta. Mm. Mm. Yes, exactly. So Colisinesi is one that you do see quite often in the UK. Um, and people go, well, what's the difference between that and Classico? Basically, its location is, well, vineyards are mostly located on the hills that envelop Siena. So you're looking a bit more southern in Tuscany. So you usually got a bit more warmth. So you get quite a generous wine. Um, 
I love the way you describe these things, a generous wine. Exactly. It's accessible and it's generous. Generous, exactly. And Sorry. Stop it. And it's not too far from Brunello de Montalcino, so you're heading down into that land. So you do still get quality with accessibility because it's just getting that bit warmer, the microclimate as you go down. So you're getting bigger, bigger fruit, more more sugar, more... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So more, the, the notes alcohol. that I always pick up is that you get sort of a purity and a spice to these wines as well with the cherry, which is quite nice. Um not typically put into new oak, um, which actually isn't, I mean, it does happen in Chianti, but it isn't happening all the time. Mostly they follow a fairly traditional winemaking method. Um, but the wines, yeah, they're usually, again, they're, they're a bit more approachable than maybe a classic Classico that's made to be structured. But because you're heading further south, there's a ripeness to them, which is quite nice. And the other one people see, which does actually get, you get quite a lot here and does do, is worthy of a special mention, is Chianti Rufina. So it's a real quality driven zone and probably just it's you know if you had a race it's nudging behind Chianti Classico so you'll often see Chianti Rufina on the label and that they're they're great wines they're doing well yeah so it's a small region they make about three million bottles a year so Mm -hmm. overall Chianti produces significantly more than that um and again the same rules apply it's at least 70 percent Sangiovese um but they mostly they don't, I don't think they permit any white varieties. It's only the indigenous reds and the international reds that can be blended in as extra components. So it would, I mean, really, it would be somebody who is a true expert like yourself who would be able have half a chance of identifying where these Chiantes are, are from most yeah, of the time. Yeah, and it's a bit like when you taste Burgundies or Chablis. If you taste them all side by side, you become aware of those slight differences. I see. Um, but when you have them separately... Once a month, it's very difficult. If it, one month yeah. you have this and the next month that, because, yeah. But stylistically, if you know that... If you went to the shops and they didn't have Chianti Classico, which was reliable for you, and you wanted something that felt quite smart, quite upright, they're growing at higher elevation, Rafina would be a good, op- good yep. option. But if you wanted something that, you know, you could just enjoy a glass of, Colisinesi might be a preference. Colisinesi. Exactly. So, yeah, they have style and substance, basically, Rufina. Wow. That's another one for you, style and substance. <laughs> style and substance. <laughs> there are two other quality categories that you sometimes see yeah. um, in the subzones. And one is superiore. And you'll see Chianti you know, superiore on the label. You're like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> sometimes you go to regions and it seems to mean nothing. They just put it on. But that usually means that you have to work from lower yields and have a higher potential alcohol before you make the wine. So they're achieving more in the vineyard before they harvest and ferment um, and reserva means that it has to be aged for at least two years before it's released so usually those are higher quality wines because an entry-level wine if you aged it for two years before it released it might not be great okay what um what why? Well, wine, wines that are more entry-level are made to be usually consumed younger okay and they don't warrant lengthy aging they don't have the tannin and the acidity initially that, that, to, would, that would develop evolve. that yeah evolve. exactly okay. would evolve and develop in barrel yeah so or tank or whatever they're choosing to age it in so yeah you would expect the wine to be of a higher quality beforehand so that when it's released it's tasting good yeah okay interesting stuff yeah very very good um anything else we need to just finish off on this part then as we are off the beaten track um any other bits the elevation, we spoke about that. The new oak, we've had a little chat about that. Yeah. Purity. Purity. I think genuinely, I think Chianti offers great value for money and will hit just about any price point. Sort of, Once you hit the sort of £10 mark, you're going to get good quality Chianti upwards and you can spend quite a lot more. But it's still, even the very top ones often offer better value than something like Brunello de Montalcino, which I mentioned, which have got quite expensive. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, do you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to go out and look for a Rufino. 
Rufuna. Rufuna, yeah, it's definitely. And maybe try and find Colosinesi and taste them side by side and see if there's a difference. Colosinesi? Yeah. There's a, because, yeah, the, I mean, just hearing those names on, on the radio or uh, for anybody listening, you think, I'm not going to know what I'm looking for. So let's just go through. So, so Colini is C-O-L-L-I, Colini. N-E for Colini. So Colli, if you see, so if it says Chianti Rufina, it will just literally say Chianti Rufina. Rufina, yeah, I guess. Colli Senesi is Colli and yeah. then, yeah, Senesi. So Colli is C-O-L-L-I yeah. and then S. E-N-E-S-I. Colli Senesi. Yes. Okay. And I know the thing what I'm is, Chianti Classico has a reputation and we all recognise it. It's yeah. almost become a brand of its own regardless of who's made the wine. So when you look at some of the subzones, you can often get slightly better value for money because they're less well-known. Ah, yes. So that's the other top tip. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, try these because um, they, uh, they could be rather special, couldn't they? Exactly. Um, well, look at the time. It flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? it? Does. Um, we're going to be matching this with food. Well, I can do that right now if you like, pasta and uh, pizza. Um, in a bit more detail. In a bit moment. more detail than that. <laughs> um, we'll be doing that after this. Don't forget, you're listening to Uncorked here on River Radio. Brian and Kath. Don't go anywhere. We're going to match the menu after this.
soundtrack to life in the Thames Valley. River Radio. On the web. To the Batmobile. Let's go. On your mobile. Hello. And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it. Hmm. I pronounce that River Radio, but I'm always working on how I say things and I might not have it right. <laughs> it's uncorked. It's Thursday. Look at the time. It is 1.44, quickly approaching 1.45. Um, you're listening to Brian and Kath on Uncorked. And um, the sound, the track yeah. that we just... Yeah, Horses by Q Lazarus. It's a great track, that. What has that got to do with Chianti? Yeah, anybody listening is thinking, that I recognise, you have to be of a certain age. Really? I don't think, yeah. you know... You have to be sort of probably a little bit older than 15. Definitely, but yeah. But you, if you were listening, I recognise that track, but I don't know where from. It is such a brilliant link from Kath <laughs> because it's um, it's to do with Chianti, which yeah. is... I've been doing that from yeah. Silence of the Lambs, and that is one of the tracks from Oops. that film. Yeah. From the... Um, was it the Tooth Fairy or something? Somebody very strange yes. in his basement... Uh. Dressing Ooh, up. Oh, it gives me the shivers. Yeah. Really does. So that was actually the track that um, you, that was quite a creepy scene, if I'm honest. Exactly. Right. I think we're getting an think, idea I, the of... The whole film is creepy. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely is. But I think it gives us an insight into how your mind works. <laughs> how you choose. Your... by you, Brian. Yes. You were more worrying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So we're matching our menu... Um, we are matching our menu. And, and we've been talking about Chianti, so um, I suppose we're going to be... Um, uh, talking about Italian food and Italian eat stuff. Exactly. And crisps. Of course. Everyone <laughs> eats crisps. <laughs> so, um, actually, not everyone's friends, but a lot of people eat crisps. Yeah, it must be so broad brush. Little, little yeah. nibble so once in a while. Yeah, so what goes well with Chianti? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I learned very early on in this um, series, and if you haven't heard, uh, just, just as a. As a, as a byline here just very briefly um if you haven't heard some of the earlier uh, uncorked shows you can listen again go to the website and you mm-hmm. can actually listen to our podcasts they're available on your podcast provider and exactly. uh, spotify and all these different places just go to river.radio listen again you join the members area it's completely free and then you can listen to the whole backlog of not just uncorked but all the other great shows right here on river radio exactly. um but we were looking at uh, matching up this uh, Chianti then, and I was uh, saying that I've learned very early on that you really, the first port of call is to look at the area the wines are made and what is the cuisine in those particular areas. Exactly. So it's very easy for me to sort of be a bit silly and say, oh, yeah, it's pizza and pasta. But actually, if we get more down to it, because... You're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get more down into, like, the, the, the nitty-gritty, because we've just been talking about all these more sub-zones and smaller yeah. areas of Chianti. So I bet you... Uh, and I'm sure you're going to tell us exactly what specialities that they do in Rufino. You know, you're looking at me again. Oh, cheers, Don't you Brian. dare, Brian. Don't you dare. No, I mean, as a rule of thumb, genuinely, if you want a wine that's versatile, which goes with lots of foods that you could eat just a normal meal with and enjoy a glass, Chianti's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because quite a lot of us eat pasta quite often. Yep. Yep. It's got enough acidity. So if you're looking at something with more acidity, the lighter, fresher styles, then... Colisonesi being an example, though it's a bit more plush because it's more further south, but any of the sort of the more lesser known ones like Fiorentini that you don't see all the time and um, Arenti, then those, Arentini, those are brilliant with 
just a basic pasta dish because even pasta dishes that aren't tomato based that are a bit more creamy so if you imagine a tomato and mascarpone sauce so it's a bit richer a bit creamier and you've got a nice vibrant chianti just a just a basic one the acidity cuts through the richness yeah and quite often you get sort of herbal tomatoey flavors alongside those cherry notes with sangiovese yeah see that's so that's where it works but anything that's richer that has an element of cream the acidity cuts through but also they go well with tomato dishes in general so just a standard pasta oh, pasta do you know what i, I, I do want pizza now <laughs> i said pasta and you want pizza i know but i was i said pizza. you say on. potato i say potato <laughs> <laughs> no so but pizza yeah and actually, you know, a pizza that's a bit more maybe meaty and full and got more flavour on it in general, you'd have with a bigger style of Chianti, maybe a Classico or a Rufina. And then maybe something that's a little bit more refined, you could have with a more, or bit more basic, your margarita style, maybe with a few more vegetables. And that would go with a lighter style of Chianti. So it is in that regard, with your two classic, <laughs> quick, what can I eat tonight dishes, it works. Yeah. But even things like um, heritage tomato salads, if you... That you get when you go out with slices of mozzarella or shavings of parmesan on them and you don't want to drink white wines then a chianti often is a good alternative so okay yeah so and and can you have some things that are a little bit more um heavy because italians like sort of spicy sausages as well don't yeah, they yeah and a chianti will work with that as well because some Ooh. slightly more meaty in character so actually that's where colisonesi is quite good because you've got that will sit alongside it's got that spiciness to it and it will work because there sometimes is sort of an undercurrent of spice. For me, in, a, in Chianti and Sangiovese, it's always sort of a sweeter spice. But, you know, it varies. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it would work as well? Because I know classically the um, sort of spicier food is difficult sometimes to match with it. Well, you said chili, you could have it with anything. Yeah, chilli spice yeah. and things. You, you have something's really, really hot. There are certain things you just don't, you know, it's either really hard to match wine with or you just have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't muck about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't even you try know. it, have a beer. Yeah, exactly. So I think you, you have to be realistic, but yeah, things like ossobuco, lamb, leg of lamb, lamb chops, those sort of things, they're classic options. Even sort of game birds, those kind of things, roast beef, duck, venison, things like that will work brilliantly with Chianti because you've got acidity and you do have tannin, particularly in the top end Chiantis, you get a significant amount of tannin and you'll benefit with anything that's either higher in fat or higher in protein. Mm. I'm always hungry at this point of the show on a Thursday. <laughs> exactly, um, to torture you. Yeah, and but you don't. You don't just have to have before we obviously get onto crisps and cheese because yeah, clear, that's clearly. really where it matters. Sure, um, you can. You know, they do work well with vegetarian and vegan food as well. Oh, okay. So uh, all of it, or bit certain ones better than others. Anything sort of tomato based, I'm guessing. Yeah, but also things like aubergine, um, lulzes. It's, it's a cross between a lentil and a pulse. Oh, Did you okay. know that? No, I've never heard of it, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but lentils and pulses, which, you know, they have quite a solid, robust character. They work really well with Chianti. So if you've got sort of, I don't know, pui lentils, kale, sweet potato, maybe a little bit of paprika and spice going on, then, you know, that will work really well with a, a glass of Chianti. And if, yeah, and if you had, um, like, pastry and yeah. sort of a puff pastry type yeah, thing. Puff pastry. Is that vegan? I'm sure you can get. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you, can. you can get vegan pastry. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, or vegetarian, we'll say. But yeah, puff pastries. You know, you can do like those big sheet of puff pastry and then cover it in sort of roasted vegetables, red onions and squash and. Oh, or we just don't need to cover it. We could just like leave it flat and make a pizza. <laughs> exactly. Back to the pizza again. <laughs> Swiftly moving on to cheese. 
Thinking of pizza. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So cheese-wise, strictly speaking, obviously, Italian cheeses, things mm-hmm. like Telegio kind of work. Um, but Cheshire and Alpine styles of cheese, we could head to Nettlebed or you could go to France or obviously Alpine cheeses from Italy as well. So things that are quite strong but not too strong, would you call them semi-mature? Possibly, yeah. And you have a semi-mature cheese, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, yeah. They'll work well. So I'm guessing, I mean, I haven't jumped in the gun here, but I'm, I'm going to put cheese and onion out there straight away. I thought you might. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, and I had this very strange chain, train of thought when I was thinking about you and your crisps <laughs> and, and wine, because really? obviously now that's, that's a menu match factor for me. I'm sat there thinking, oh. So I was thinking, roast beef, would that work? And then my mind went to a very strange place. Oh, okay. Let me, let's see if I can think of where it went to. Okay, so you were thinking of... Um, they come out with some really strange crisps somewhere, don't they? Um, it wasn't a crisp. It wasn't a chorizo. It wasn't a crisp. Oh, well, I'm, I'm never going to guess Although, it. actually, yeah, posh chorizo styly. Yeah, that chorizo would be quite crisps. a good combo, wouldn't They'd probably it? work, wouldn't they? My brain went beef and tomato pot noodle. Oh, And then no. I thought... Where did that come from? Because I have not eaten a pot noodle since I was a student. Oh, pot noodles are a dreadful thing. Uh, my son is pointing out to me it stemmed from a conversation about ramen last night. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We were talking about ramen and ramen noodles. Ah, I see. And how they eat the culture of... This is a bizarre digression. We, we go off. The culture of instant noodles and ramen and how it, it came to Japan and then... We talked about noodles you could get in this country, and it used to always be pot noodles. Wasn't it you who told me that maybe pot, that was pot, the pot noodles were invented by NASA? No, he <laughs> said <laughs> that's a good fact. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they actually branded that's them sure pot that, noodles. Sure that was Sam. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, <laughs> but yeah, no. So NASA, so that they, you know, because you haven't got time to actually prepare a full meal, so just pop what, the kettle on. Does it all just. I don't know. I think you just Chase squirt a bit of warm water in there and mash it up in the bag. Yeah. Ah, that's one thing that would be bad, actually, living in the space station or something. The cuisine wouldn't be great, would it? I think it would be unpleasant. Yeah. But I suppose it's fuel, isn't it? It'd be similar if you're in the Arctic Circle and you've got to eat those sort of pouches of food that you have. Yeah, I don't That's why I wouldn't go. So we're not going to the Arctic Circle no. or space. It's ridiculous. Why would you want to? I don't disagree. (laughs) Some people pay millions for it. Um, Okay, so I think, I mean, there's so much that you can actually have with a a Chianti. I was saying you can have with a Chianti. When you're eating, Chianti will go with so many things. (laughs) Drink less, but better. Exactly. That's what we always say. A simple glass with a nice meal and everyone's happy. So just glancing over your notes, wild duck. Yes. Just... Got to be wild. It's wild. Can't be the. Can't be non wild. <laughs> Domestic is the opposite. Oh. You make me think of rabbits now as well. I am. I, I'm, I'm starting to lose my marbles. I don't know why. Um, but it's happening. <laughs> it's an, hour, an hour talking about wine with me, and yeah. it's just, you're like. Oh, when you're hungry. The moon is in Sagittarius. I can't cope. Okay, so, and, and just sort of finishing off then, because we've got for, well, ooh, got less than five minutes, so let's be serious. Let's crack on with this last bit. Something about large tulip-shaped glasses. Yes. What's that about? <laughs> well, no, not too large, actually. It says large tulip-shaped, but not too large tulip steak, uh, tulip-shaped glasses, and I swear I've not had a drink yet today. Mm. Um, it's the sort of side of glass that you should serve... A Chianti in. 
Right. So you don't want something that's too enormous. So you, you know you can get those Bordeaux, those are massive wine glasses. Yeah. It will get lost in those. So although they're aromatic and they've got a clear aroma, you need something that's slightly smaller so that you contain it a bit. So it's contained and the aromas are more focused. Yeah. The, the, and that's exactly what a, the, and actually, those designs do, isn't the re, it? The Reed Alcanti glass is a really good, versatile, everyday wine glass across the board, actually. Okay. For everything. Yeah. Um, but also the best serving temperature, 16 to 18 degrees. So not too warm. Mm-hmm. You want but that's that's room temperature, isn't it? It depends on your room. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 my rooms are sixteen to eighteen. I don't know. That's about perfect. You. So well, mine are mostly as well. But in the middle of summer, it's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and if your true. heating's pumping out, yeah. yeah, some people live in a a hot box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so not too not too warm. Not yeah. too not, warm. Not too warm. Yeah. Okay, I got it. So don't leave it on the top shelf in the kitchen in the middle of summer. Yes, because that would get really. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's a, that's a good tip actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and and that's just about it then. Anything yeah. else to add then for Chianti? Or oh, are we done? I think we're done. Can we do an, a unison sort of a? Yeah, there we go. That's there our we go. Uh, a nice glass of Chianti. Little nod to uh, Chianti <laughs> there. What are we doing next week? Botrytis. Oh, I thought. Well, you know, we've talked we talked about rot a lot. So why don't we just get on and talk about Botrytis this time specifically. So botrytis, we, we, we might we might digress to other forms of rot while we're at it. Yeah, because it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, no. Because everything, oh, rot in the vineyard. Oh, yeah, everything's going mouldy. Go, yeah. Oh, but sometimes, sometimes you might want that, and it gives you an alternative to ice wine. So you know, we can we can look at the difference between ice wine and a and a botrytic wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, these are very often quite like dessert wines or sweet wines as well, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But sometimes if, if it's a year where you get botrytis in the vineyard, you can have dry wines that have botrytis notes as well. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's lots, lots to cover. So sometimes you, you go to the supermarket or you go to the wine mm-hmm. shops um, and you get like the half bottles and you think, my yeah. goodness, that's expensive. Yeah. We're going to find out why, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. All those uh, lovely, lovely wines. So that's coming up next week. Don't miss it at one o'clock on a Thursday. Don't forget, yes. as I mentioned before, you can listen again. Did I mention that? You I can. Think you did. You I go to river.radio and there's a little button that says listen again. And it's, here's the thing it's not just. Uncorked, you can listen to... Why you'd want to listen to anything else? I don't know. <laughs> maybe what they were thinking is you'd listen to Uncorked and then you go, that was so good, I want to listen to some more stuff on Rid Radio. Is there anyone that knows that Italy's not in France? I know. <laughs> I mean, who would have guessed? With all exactly. that sort of cutting-edge information you get from us. No, but seriously, there are some great shows on River Radio, and if you go to the Listen Again on the website, you need to join the little membership area, but it's absolutely free. Diddly squat, nothing. You can just... No expense yep. to you whatsoever. So join up. Um, you get all the updates for when new um, podcasts, and you can tell us which podcast you like. Um, and don't forget, stay with River Radio, because coming up later today...